This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to episode 140 of the ABZ Football Podcast. It's me, Gary Scott, and this week joined by the one and only Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Much more alive than I was on Saturday, my, the day after my most recent birthday celebration, so we say, where I kidded myself on that I could still hack tequila. I cannot. That is a, that's a spoiler. And yeah, I was feeling pretty sick around about the 20th minute of the game against Hearts. So feeling much better than I was expecting to be. Good stuff. Happy birthday. All the very best returns for another trip around the sun for young Gavin Jay. Um, he does. It's going to be a fairly um, busy-ish, I guess, kind of one here in the ABZFP this week. We're going to look back on our late, late win over Hearts in the cinch on Saturday. We'll check in with the latest news. From AB24, we'll check with the young team, the Quines and our Lonies and Lone Watch. And then after the break, we preview Thursday's Europa Conference League fixture with Eintracht Frankfurt. And then, Gav, for the first time on this show, we have the joys of previewing a cup final as we look ahead to Sunday's Bells League Cup final against Sevco at Hamden Park. Any wait to talk about the Coca-Cola Cup. First, Aberdeen 2. Heart of Midlothian won Saturday the 9th of December 2023 at Pataudry Stadium in the Cinch. Two changes from the side beaten by Kilmarnock on Wednesday night. Jack Milne in for his league debut and Esther Sokler returning to the starting lineup. Duke and Angus McDonald dropping out in what was a fairly tepid start to the game. Saw the visitors take the lead on 20 minutes. A corner floated in from the South Sand side. Found Lawrence 12, he'd Shankland, unmarked from three yards, and he powered a header home off his massive dome. Hearts briefly threatening to take the game away from the Dons. Shortly afterwards, a move on 28 minutes ending with Nicky Devlin having to dive to head away a Shankland cross before the Dons then finally seemed to start get going uh, after an opening 30 to 35 minutes that had been, let's just call it all too familiar with um, plenty long ball nonsense emanating from the men in red and gold. Clarkson, perhaps, should have done better with an effort on 33 minutes from a Hayes free kick that was tucked back to him. Clarkson's effort flashing a couple of inches wide. And then the Dons forced a couple of corners in quick succession, but nothing much doing. The sides went in at the break with Hearts, a goal to the good. Into that second half, the Dons certainly found a little bit more of a groove. Our midfield actually stepping in and making tackles. Balls being played much more frequently up the sides and on the deck. Who'd have thunk it? Big Dick Jensen 
Also nearly bringing the house down with a raking effort from 30 yards that was heading for the top corner until Clark produced a good save to tip over. The Dons did get their goal though just a minute or two later. McGrath and Soak were linking well to set Miofsky away. His pullback to McGrath saw the Irishman look to be bundled over, but he still had the presence of mind to poke the ball towards Miofsky, who finished brilliantly across Clark in off the far post to level this encounter. McGrath then feeding Sokler, who smashed into the side netting before McGrath also curled one just wide on 70 minutes. The Dons with a double switch on 76. Duke and Shaden Morris on for Jack Millen Sokler before Miofsky had to be replaced for Polvara after picking up a knock. Lengthy treatment needed for Gartenman after an elbow to the face when Rowles saw the Dane bleeding from above the eye, but he returned to the action in a fetching red bandage. Duke then with an effort straight Clark before Morris fashioned a cross out of little and Duke's diving header was also easily saved by Clark. And just when it looked like this one was destined for a draw, the Dons did get the win that their second half performance deserved. A ball up the channel from Devlin, allowing Duke to race in behind a couple of Hearts cart horses who looked like they were towing a tank between them. Duke racing in on Clark before cleverly squaring for an onrushing Clarkson to tap into an empty net. And it just feels right that maybe we should let some commentary take this one away. And here's Devlin. And he's helped it into an area. And Duke's got the pace. Duke's wrong goal. He squares it for Clarkson. Oh, what a moment for Aberdeen at Pitodre and Barry Robson in particular. It's Red Bedlam in the stands. Because Leighton Clarkson may just have scored a critical winning goal. Well, for 45 minutes, Aberdeen looked down and out, but they've turned it around. McDonald then on for McGrath in the final moments as Hearts looked to pile on the pressure from set pieces, but fine defending from both Devlin and Jensen. Saw the Dons over the line, a huge, huge three points secured. The Dons now up to ninth in the table, and the run of the away side in this fixture picking up absolutely fuck all continues. To roll onwards on the data front, possession 51%. To the Dons, 49% for the wayside. Shots, 14 to 5. Shots on target, 6 to 3 in favour of Aberdeen. Expected goals, 1.74 to 0.33. So, Gav, before we get into the game in a little bit more detail, um, just a mammoth, mammoth three points for the club and for a manager who, quite rightly, has been coming under more and more pressure in recent weeks, especially after that honking result and performance against Kilmarnock on Wednesday. 100%. It's at the end of the game, you you saw the, the scale of the celebrations from like to Vienson, uh, Shinny, Nicky Devlin, Kelrus. You could get the impression that the players understood what a result it was for us just to get a bit more positive feeling back into things. Um, as sad as it is to say, to create a little bit of distance between ourselves and Livingston because um, I think we're, um, I think you look around world football right now and you see a lot of big teams who are suffering the um, the pain of relegation or a relegation battle and there's no way that I would ever think that Aberdeen are too good or too big to, to go down and after Wednesday you know the fear does start to kick in when you are literally a point above the team in, in bottom spot and to come back also from 1-0 down I'm sure I was not the only one in the ground that had the fear when Shankland made it 1-0 I had the fear going into the game anyway um, and so what could happen if Hearts kind of turned the screw on us a little bit and for a while they were going to, um, the first half was just, yeah, a pretty 
abysmal uh, state of affairs, very similar to what we did against Kilmarnock. And I could not have expected what was going to come in the second half to get the win. Yeah, just massive, lifts the mood of the crowd again, the whole the whole club. And hopefully it's not going to keep for nothing and we'll be able to just go on a run and start claiming that league table. Yeah, a point of order quickly. We weren't a point off of bottom. We were still three points clear of Livingston after Wednesday night, but let's just... Um, potato, potato. There we go. Um, <clears throat> we'll come up to the, team, the game, I guess, in a little bit more detail now. A couple of big surprises in the starting 11, I thought. Um, well, maybe maybe not a couple of big surprises who came in. Maybe a couple of surprises about just who was actually left in the team. First of all, Jack Milndo coming in for Angus McDonald. Uh, McDonald apparently unable to play two games in quick succession, according to Robson, which seems curious given... McDonald's lack of games already this season and you've got Rubizic also available um, it meant we had to move Devon to right centre half with Milne again in that unfamiliar right wing back role this poor kid Jack Milne honestly <laughs> trained his entire life to play centre midfield and then right at that very formative crucial part of his career we decide nah you're going to play centre back actually uh, but we're never going to play you there we're not going to really play it anywhere for that matter uh, we'll put you on loan, and now, yeah, now we're going to give you a taste of first-team action, but you're playing right wing-back. What's that? Yes, our right wing-back is in the team. Yeah, but he's going to play centre-back, not you. A very, very curious uh, decision. When I saw the lineup, I, will, I was thinking, is this perhaps a move to go to like a more of a 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3 type shape with maybe Milne in the centre midfield as he's done for the bulk of his career? Or are we going to give him a go in centre-back so when we see the teams come out uh, from the tunnel and then emerge into the shape and you do see that it is going to be him playing right wing back. Yeah, very, very curious decision indeed. And not a great state of affairs for, well, either Angus or Rubicic for that matter that the manager seems to have, in this case, more faith in Nicky Devlin playing centre-back than either of them. Yeah, it is definitely quite interesting. Um and you're right, talking just about Milne in particular there, you know, as you say, he's, and we'll maybe talk about him a little bit later on, but it does, I do feel very sorry for him in the fact that he's, as you say, come through the ranks, defensive centre midfielder. We decided we see something as a centre half. I think more than anything because of his physique is what I'm presuming. And then here you go, young man, here's a chance to get into the first team. But by the way, it's playing a role that you've probably never played in your career up until this, this stage. Um, in terms of the starting lineups, I wasn't that surprised. I don't think to see Sokler come in for Duke. I don't think that was a, a big surprise at all. I think, though, maybe what was surprising to a lot of people was probably Johnny Hayes keeping his place and perhaps even go as far as to say Graham Shinney retaining his spot as well in the centre of the park. Um, you know what? I mean... I maybe not surprising. I think surprising is the wrong word because it, yeah. it didn't surprise me at all to find out they were both still on the team. Shinney especially. I think Robson is clearly a manager who's just very loyal to certain individuals and will probably be playing them week in week out regardless of form i think shinny probably falls into that category um maybe not so much concerned with shinny playing but the fact that i was seeing a a three five two five three two system whatever you want to call it with that combination of midfielders again because clarkson mcgrath and shinny as a three has not worked at any point this season so i don't see any reasoning as to why a manager would continue to persist with it um thinking that would change and as for johnny hayes i mean i'm just sort of left scratching my head as to why we paid a transfer fee for james bigatti when he's available but we're gonna persist with johnny hayes who i guess it's sad to see and it's sad to watch week in week out but is is definitely very much in the 
in the uh, the dying embers of his career um, as an Aberdeen player. Um, I guess maybe Robson will say that Magalhaes is just coming back from injury and we need to manage his minutes. But the only way you're going to get match fitness is by by playing games. And if that means he only gets 60 minutes, then give the guy 60 minutes because he's got to be a better shout than than Johnny Hayes is right now. If he's not, if the manager doesn't think he's a better option, then you have to look at the recruitment once again. Yeah, and as important as the result was in the end, I mean, that performance in the opening 30, 35 minutes had me really worried again because it was a direct continuation of what we've been seeing in recent weeks. It was lots of nothing long balls, very little service for the guys up top, a lot of hitting and hoping from from the guys at the back, the midfield being completely bypassed time and time again. I mean, there was one point in the first half that Miofsky dropped to basically sitting almost just in front of the back line to try and be able to pick the ball up and try and get things moving. It was a sign of just how desperate things were at that point, wasn't it? Definitely. And what Miofsky then did when he would drop that far back is then just look for the long ball to Esther Sokler. So it wasn't even as though he was dropping back in to, to build up the play uh, progressively. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's... Um, all you need to do is go back and find the audio from the game to find how the how the crowd were responding to a lot of this play. And the thing is, when when that's all going on, I'm just sat, stood there thinking, "There's no way we're going to score today," mm-hmm. which is really like scoring at all right now. Um, I know Robson will come away and tell you that we've had 53 or 56 or 57 shots in our last three games or whatever the fuck, but I can't think of really ever testing the Kilmarnock goalkeeper and up to that point I think Xander Clark was a you know a spectator in the game uh, it was really really bleak and you understand why the fans were reacting the way they were and you could also see Miofsky and Sokler were getting equally frustrated with the lack of service whenever we did get the ball in their in their third it was just so slow yeah anytime picking the options picking the pass there was always a delay and always hesitation to get the ball in the box or try and take a man on. And it just looked like a team completely devoid of ideas and devoid of confidence. The goal that we lose is, it's a horrendous one once again to lose. Um, it's Graham Shinney who loses the run of Shankland. Admittedly from the red shed, it may be difficult to tell. I, I thought as well the ball came right across Kel Reese's six-yard box. I hate that I think he can do something with. He seems to get caught in two minds about it. But just all in all, a, a really poor goal once again to lose. Um, I think in my time, 18 months of watching Keldus, I don't think he's in two minds at all. I think he's very much settled that he is staying on that line and he is not coming off it for love nor money. Um, when you watch the highlights, it comes along, yeah, like you say, at a height that he can definitely come and take it. It's not as though it's far enough out that he can't get through a crowd of bodies. Um, I think he should definitely be doing better. And obviously, you know, a set piece, which were apparently really good at defending at but you know gonna fool me on that one to let hearts number nine their their top striker have a free header at the back stick it's just pretty unforgivable isn't it it really is and yeah like i say it is um it's graham shaney who loses shankland pretty badly as well to be fair it's not like shankland makes a hell of a good run off of him um it's pretty basic stuff um it's not a bad box a ball that's been thrown into the box from cocker and then fairness to him but just really basic stuff. And and I think that's also what had me worried was when, as a team, when you're losing really basic goals like that as well, and you don't look like you're scoring, that's just such a recipe for, for absolute disaster. Um, certainly it was a really weird game as well in the sense that I think you'd expect a heart side who, you know, let's not forget, came into the game sitting in third spot. They were in a decent run of form apart from the defeat um, against Sevco 
midweek, they go a goal up against a side who are really suffering. You'd really expect them to try and turn the screw, but we saw none of that from the visitors, from my perspective. And I feel like I say this every time I see Hearts at Pathology. They were probably the worst side I've seen us play this season, um, certainly at Pathology. And instead, it was the Dons who seemed to rally eventually after that first half hour. Not sure. I think Ross County might still be taking that worst team to visit. I actually thought Ross County were better than Hearts were. Honestly, still for the time being. The thing is, like when in the beginning of the game, whenever we would try, try to get the ball down and maybe pass between defence and midfield, Hearts were closing us down in packs and making it very difficult. And they did get some joy. And there was a couple of occasions when they had some overloads and with better finishing, better decision making, I think they could have been two, three up um, in the first half quite easily. Um, It wasn't so much what they were doing in the first half. It was just a very curious strategy to adopt for the second half I found from them, which was just extremely passive. It wasn't anything tactical. Stephen Ace was made sure to tell us that. (laughs) Nothing to do with him. It's not his fault. It, but um, yeah, I just I would have thought a team coming to Pataudry with the fa- our fans on the team's back, players with very little confidence, showing little in the way of ideas to get a foothold in the game, would have just been desperate to just you know put their foot on the accelerator and take the game away from us. And like you say, they just seemed happy to just happy to sit back. You know, they were just time wasting a lot. Um, just they were time wasting the game. from the opening five minutes to be fair what, what, to take the game at an absolute snail's pace um, I think you can tell from the reaction on Hart's Twitter that they're not exactly happy with Stephen Naismith's way of approaching this game and rightfully so yeah I think it's probably fair to say um, both of our respective managers do enjoy chugging down on a healthy dose of Deludamol from time to time I think it's probably fair to say um, credit though to our players they certainly came out with a different attitude second half and there looked like there was only going to be one winner in that second half. Um, as soon as we got the equaliser, I felt there was only one team that wanted to go on and win the game. And that was us. Getting that equaliser so early in the second half would definitely help. Didn't it? A, a fine finish once again from the main man, Bojan Miofsky. But credit also has to go to Jamie McGrath here for his determination and doggedness to dig the ball out for Bojan um, before it does become a, a fine finish by, by Miofsky. Yeah, um, because McGrath, he gets, I mean, I don't know if it's a foul, but he gets taken down. Um, Obviously, I think the lesser players would have just stopped and turned to the referee. Uh, McGrath, yeah, keeps keeps going, plays to the whistle and manages to get the ball to to Boyan. And we're all of the good that Boyan's done this season. He's been a tiny bit off the boil in the last few games. He's had a fair few chances and he's not been able to take any of them. Uh, Even preceding that in the second half against Hearts, he has the chance where he should sort of loses control yeah. snatches at it and Clark makes a pretty easy save but I guess the the great thing about him is that it doesn't seem like missing chances ever takes his um takes his willingness to be in those positions away and he's just there again and from what's a fairly you know fairly acute angle on his weaker foot yeah very very good finish uh took a little bit too long to hit the net for me in the red shed <laughs> but uh, I'll take it I'll take yeah. it uh just where are we Gav on Jamie McGrath board right now because I thought McGrath had a decent game again yesterday um, a lot of good things for us came through him once again um, I think like everyone he had a pretty ineffective first half didn't get a huge amount of service but whenever he did get on the ball I found just like everyone else he was just a bit slow and a bit ponderous with the ball in the second half I mean yeah I mean you can't knock it I mean that's an assist a crucial assist and got a little bit more dogged 
got a little bit more fighting him, a bit more intensity in, in his game. So um, yeah, definitely going to have it as a as a good game for Jamie McGrath. So it's pretty sick. Still at seven three, seven three. Yeah, um, not enough to pull away. No, I think I think no. we're going to keep it where it is. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I mean, a maybe of, a game of two halves for McGrath. Or maybe fair enough. Maybe it's one that comes back to you on Wednesday night. You didn't have a great game against Kilmarnock. But maybe he, he comes away again. The gap's still forward, no matter, no matter which way you cut it. I mean, I can't single out anyone for Kilmarnock. Um, on McGrath, uh, somebody did tweet the other day just suggesting, here's one for you, Gav, that this obviously came in the aftermath of the, the, the two more recent defeats in the league. But there was a, a question, but was McGrath just a magnet for relegation-threatened teams, obviously, after having been at United last season when they went down in... After the Kilmarnock game on Wednesday, I think all of us were were desperately looking over our shoulders a little bit. Um, it is and I, we kind of touched on a little bit of the game yesterday, and that whilst I think McGrath has done really well for us since he's come in on an individual level, I do have a little concern that he just doesn't balance the midfield three as well as it could do. I'm no. not saying it's his fault. I think it's just the way that the setup works. I would like to see him playing. I'd like to. See, I've said it for I don't know how long now. I'd like to see a shift formation. I'd like to see him playing a bit further forward where he's not part of a central midfield three where he can perhaps not be, you know, uh, quite so required to put in the defensive work and he can more concentrate on what he does best, which I think is the top end of the pitch. Um, I would tend to agree. I think his best performances have generally come, we've shifted to that kind of 5-4-1 setup and he's one of the more advanced, not wingers, but sort of closer to the forward than... Um, bad yeah, when, we, when we go Christmas tree in possession and it's yeah exactly um so I would tend to agree that's just what I'm talking about again earlier this just that combination of midfielders or for that matter any combination of our midfielders when we're playing the 5-3-2 setup just hasn't clicked in the same way that it did last season when we had uh Clarkson Shinny and Ramadani and mm-hmm. I think we talked about this one or two episodes ago where you just I don't think necessarily Ramadani is a difficult player to replace but you had to go and source a like for like replacement, and we just didn't do that. We brought in, you know, Robson has a lot of faith that you hear in Dante Polvara. Hasn't given us kind of game time. I would expect when he supposedly has that level of faith, Connor Ban and Clarkson together just doesn't work. Um, and Jamie McGrath with Shinny and Clarkson um, also doesn't provide that balance. So that's yeah, a big part of why I'd be also advocating for a change in in formation even though I don't think we necessarily have the personnel to fit perhaps a 4-2-3-1 system um, in terms of the wingers. I know we've got wingers, but I'm not sure they're good enough, quite frankly. Um, so that's, again, just a um, failure for me of the management and the recruitment team to to prepare us for playing this 5-3-2 setup that Robson's been so adamant about playing for almost the entire time he's been manager of Aberdeen. Again, some slightly curious subs from Robson I thought I was surprised Baron or Povara weren't introduced I know Povara came on but that was because of the injury to Timiofsky rather than being a definitive tactical switch um, it was Duke and Morris who were given the nod to come in Duke I thought was effective actually coming off the bench this time around got himself into dangerous spots gets the assist for the winner had a couple of attempts on goal prior to that as well um, and the assist itself was kind of beautiful purely for its simplicity more than anything else you think it was a pass? It's definitely a pass. Are you sure? Now that I've seen it, but at the time, from our vantage point, wasn't convinced. Now, having seen it back on a number of times now, it's definitely a pass. I think I've seen Duke try that finish one too many times to think that it might have been just a really, really bad effort at goal. 
turn. Wonderful does, assist. He does he, look up. And I know he has the little look, but that doesn't always mean that Duke's going to pass it to you. I'm pretty sure it's a pass. I'm pretty certain it's a pass. Either way, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's this is what, again, I talk about in the past, where I'm not saying that we can't go direct when the time calls for it. Yeah. I think that was a great little bit of play. And it's, of course, you're going to try and use Duke's pace when you've got a Hearts team that are pressing way forward allowing him to run into space. Um, this I again, this, I think this is where there's a difference between in inverted commas being direct and playing balls into the channels dangerously. Like this wasn't a hoof up the park hoping for somebody to do something out of it. This was much more measured in the sense of trying to drop it over the back of the defensive line for someone to run onto. There's a world of difference between the two. And you should do as well. When Hearts yeah. go ahead and make the changes they did, they brought Craig Halkett on who's played very little football in what the last... 18 months, two years. And who so was never then, quick to begin with. Was never quick to begin with. And then on a pitch like that and conditions like that against someone like Duke, he's going to have absolutely no chance. So Not Naismith's fault though. Nothing tapped. I thought it was a, a very, very good ball. I think it's Nicky Devlin that plays Devlin, the ball yeah, through. Yeah. Uh, Duke, you know, does great uh, just to get himself into the position. And you know, whether it's a cross or a shot doesn't really matter at the end of the day because, you know, Leighton Clarkson's up there supporting the striker and we make it 2-1 and everything is dandies once more. Well, listen, we not go quite that far, but um, special shout as well, I think, to Richard Jensen and to Nicky Devlin, who were, in the main, absolute rocks at the back for large parts of that game. And I'm not entirely sure if this is accurate or fair to say, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Dick Jensen's effort from 35 yards might have just been that thing that kind of spurred the team on in that second half as well. It just seemed to give everybody a bit of a I don't know, a jolt, a lift, something to kind of went play off of. I've been really going back and forth with my thoughts about Richard Jensen, almost on a game-to-game basis. Which I think is fair. He's been very inconsistent. Yeah, because there's times I think that, was, yeah, he's, he's good. He's really good. He's like an absolute warrior because he gets hurt about every game, but he never goes yeah. off. Um, and then there's times where it's like, ah, oh, guys, just his positioning's not quite what I want it to be and maybe he's not quite aggressive enough. And, you know, I think this is probably as much to do with what the instructions he's been given are rather than his footballing ability. But, you know, you'll see him just hoof the ball long out of play quite often. Um, same for Stefan Garner for that, for that matter of fact. But in the second half, especially, I felt that Richard Jensen was like a man possessed. Yeah. And I think that his, the way that he was starting to read the way hearts were playing and the way they were trying to feed balls into Shankland, he would always be nipping in front. I think he nips in front and then, presses forward and that's what gives them the chance to get the shot away and from where we were I thought this is going in absolutely no bother as Xander Clark pulls off a very un-Xander Clark type save to keep the ball out but yeah I thought Jensen if you just like encapsulate the Aberdeen spirit it was within Richard Jensen just the way that he changed the complexion of the game for me we went from being this incredibly passive team that couldn't get anywhere near hearts to to playing on the front foot being aggressive to quote the Hearts manager, to, to bullying them. And I think that was a big part in us getting the three points. Absolutely. Jack Milne as well, we touched on him at the start at the start of the review of the game, um, came off, replaced uh, for Shaden Morris, Shaden. 76 minutes, I think, on the clock at that point. Um, but I thought Milne again kind of grew into the game as the game kind of went on. Again, we've, we've talked about it now on a number of occasions, not his natural position. Difficult as well when you come into a team who's not not playing particularly well at the time. Thought he quit himself well. And I actually feel like I saw enough of Milne in the second half, enough from him that made me go, 
you know what? There's probably a decent sentence material in there. Well, that's uh, that's a curious point. I've heard that um, or seen that on Twitter from a few other people that maybe he could come in and be that sort of additional scrappy um, combative center midfielder to to take the weight off of Graham Shinney's shoulders to do that kind of Ramadani role, and then you know you'll let your Clarksons and your Barons flourish um, in both games that he's played in Helsinki and against Hearts. I definitely think he's played better as the game's gone on. Um, I can't think of him doing anything wrong for that point, um, which I think is a testament to him. Um, yeah, I would just like to see the guy have a chance to play in a position that he's familiar with rather than playing um, a completely new position as he takes his first steps in uh, first-team football, the poor bastard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day... Also, why was he not in the hearts box for corners? Oh, I don't understand that. He's, he's probably easily the tallest person on that pitch. Yeah, or must be close to it. Why is he the guy holding Mind, the halfway line? Mind-boggling. I don't really understand that at all. Um, but hey, what do we know? Um, I feel like we're going to probably get criticised for this, but never mind. Um, I, I, nobody should necessarily kid ourselves too much about this one, though. Should be hearts were rotten, it's fair to say. Um, the second-half reaction, at least from us, seems to show to me that the players are ready to step up and fight for the badge. But the first 30 minutes performance was really, really poor. So, you know, one win over a poor Hearts team doesn't a Robson ball make. It's probably <laughs> fair to say. Um, yeah, there's there's no doubt Hearts are not a good football team by any stretch of the imagination. I would say they're um, probably like ourselves a bit weaker than they were last season. And even then they weren't great there. The changes they made, I thought, really weakened them. So yeah. there's not really any depth of of strength in their um, in their squad either once you go past the first 11 or so um uh, yeah i think there's no doubt they let us back into the game and they let us go on and and win it um and i just have to thank Stephen Nathos, even though it wasn't his fault yeah um i think as we just said people probably just do need to just kind of keep feet in the ground a little bit this win this win will not count for really much if we don't then go on a run of yeah, results this is what i was waiting to touch upon is because after what has been a poor run of games, poor run of results, the win certainly ensures obviously Robson will remain in situ for the cup final. So we're not going to have the dream moment of Stuart Duff and Derek Young leading us out at Hamden as, as co-managers. And it probably does mean as well that the run now to the end of December, now he's probably safe for. But from that run, we're home to Livingston, away to Dundee, home to Motherwell, home to St Mirren. I mean, just in the league, we'll touch on the cup final later on. What does he need to get for you in terms of a return for you to be convinced that he needs or he should remain certainly in the kind of short to medium term? Uh, what, from that run of four games? Yeah. Um, I would minimum 10, 10 points minimum. But I would probably expect us with our resources to be able to go and get a return of four wins in a row. I'd be lying if I told you I've had a confidence that we we're going to go on a run of mm -hmm. five wins in a row in the league, which was what we'd, we'd be talking about. But Livingston, obviously, um, are in dire straits, uh, worse than probably I think Jake and Liam and all the lads at the Almondview podcast would uh, have described themselves at the beginning of the season. Uh, Motherwell, obviously. Um, Kettlewell's in a very precarious position as manager. Dundee, you know, Tony Dockett, I think, has done a great job there. But they are still the newly promoted team, and I would expect us to be able to go and 
get a result. We've done well against at Dens in recent times. And then St. Mirren's going to be a challenge if you if you ignore glass ball. If you okay. ignore glass ball. Um, and St. Mirren will be a challenge, of course, because it always is whenever they come to Tawdry. But um, for me, again, it's a team, it's a run of games where you have to pick up maximum points for me if you're going to have any chance of finishing where we want to finish. And that's obviously third place in the league. Yeah, and the league is incredibly tight again, as we see this weekend. I mean, we touched on it at the start of the show. I mean, Hearts came into the weekend in third position. They're down in sixth after the weekend's results. Um, there is a little bit of a, a split starting to form between the top six and the bottom six. So it is important, I think, that we do pick up results to make sure that we don't get cut adrift from that. We do have at least one game in hand, if not two on top of the the number of teams who are in the top six at the moment, but games in hand don't count for anything unless you actually take the points in them. I, I probably tend to agree. I think he needs to win all the home games and <clears throat> bare minimum is a point at Dens. I think he needs to be looking for three. So if you could get four wins out of four, then that certainly would encourage me a little bit that, the, that this team can be turned around, that Robson can propel us up the table. Um, and let's face it, we've seen teams go on revival runs that have been sparked off of far less than the type of result we picked up on Saturday. So who fucking knows what's going to happen now as our mad season continues to just roll on? Well, you only need to look back about roughly 12 months to find a team in red from the Northeast who went (laughs) on a run that no one could have predicted. So yeah, the evidence is there. Um, And hopefully then we're talking January. It'll be interesting to me to see if the board, if Robson's still here, which I expect him to be, the board then back him if he recognizes a need to make changes in the squad um, and if we can do anything in January to help us through like we did uh, a year ago. All in all, Saturday was a decent afternoon's work. We managed to jump up the table. Um, we are now just seven points off of Hearts despite what their fans were singing in the first half. How'd that one work out for you lads? Um, nine behind St. Mirren now in third. That nine points as you just touched on there, Gavin, is a smaller gap than the one we did make up on Hearts last season um a decent afternoon's work and as you say hopefully something we can now use as a bit of a platform to to go in and kick on from this season in the league yeah for me it's just gonna just kind of be a game by game i'm gonna start talking like by robson last season when he came as interim mm-hmm. game by game uh just climb the table little by little uh let's get you know first of all maybe top of the bottom six <laughs> um i was like back in the days of craig brown uh jesus christ <laughs> and then you know get ourselves in the top six little by little and then you know we'll be up there everything you ever dreamed of (laughs) sure topped on for you gav what what, what an album (laughs) i saw you singing stop crying your heart out in helsinki so i don't know what you're on Uh, about that is that is not what i was singing thank you very much did we try and put papi habib gay into that there and all of the stars stars are fading away just try not to worry. It's happy, happy, Yeah, there we go. Just <laughs> lovely stuff, right? Anyway, um, enough of that. Top dawn for you from Saturday afternoon. Oh man, um, Nicky definitely got the sponsors. I hadn't thought about this. Um, when I left the game, yeah, I very much felt that Richard Jensen had put in his best performance for Aberdeen and led us to that victory. So yeah, big Dick Jensen. Big. Dick Energy, Richard Jensen. Um, ooh, I'm gonna, I might, I'm gonna go the same thing. I'm gonna go Dick Jensen. Thought he had a good game. Thought Devlin did well as well. In fairness to him, um, thought second half most most players did well. I still massive, massive niggly doubts for me about Johnny Hayes. Just 
I don't understand why. Um, it's better though. Was it? Better. It was better from was him. It? Than Kilmarnock? Yeah, definitely. That is an extremely low barometer. I mean, there was there was a moment in the first half hey, of the hey, hey, where, hey, he, hey, where hey, he slipped. Hey, hey, you're only as bad as your last game. <laughs> it's true. The moment in the first half where he slipped away to take the free kick, and I did think if he just knocks that with his knee and sets Killy off on a fucking a heart sorry way and a breakaway, that would have just been the most depressing thing in the world I've had to watch. Um, yeah, you turned to me and asked how funny it would have been. It's like it would have been way too sad to laugh. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would have, have been, been like watching a puppy get shot. It, yeah, it's really true. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. We'll come and talk about the cup final in a minute or two. Um, I still think we need to do something different with the shape. Well, he'll, or, he'll be there. I know. We need to do something different with the shape as well, but Graham Shinney. Um, I'm not going to get too overexcited by this win, um, although it's always good to get one over hearts at any um, stage of the season. So fair fucks to everybody involved. The second half performance was very, very good. So yeah. Um, I would also, please. I would like to personally commend Lawrence Shanklin for how, um, <laughs> how should we say, sporting he was in the, yeah. in the fallout. And, and how mature he's become as an individual since leaving Aberdeen Football Club. Um, and again, his old flatmate Craig Story would have been proud. Yeah, I must admit as well, there was a guy at halftime, a Hearts fan clearly, who went and dug out tweets, I think that you'd sent Gavin from about a year ago. Possibly even, right. twi- possibly even like 24 months ago, digging Lawrence Shank went out. And you know when you're like, that's a brave thing to do when it's only halftime. Yeah, um, absolutely. I thought Shanklin was... Wouldn't catch us doing that shit. Nope, I thought Shankle was terrible on the whole, again. Um, yeah, definitely um, grew more and more ineffective as the game went on, and Richard Jensen just dominated him. Absolutely. Right, I'm going to get to Richard Jensen, topped on. Will we move on? Yes, please. Okay, okay let's do that. So, uh, very little news off the field in the week that's just gone past. Um, curious little activity online from some of the usual suspects as well. I wonder why that might be, Gav. Any thoughts? Got no answer for you. No, definitely not. We'll move on to the Quines. They must have lost their password. Definitely. We'll talk about the Quines now. They return to action on Sunday afternoon with a trip to South Lanarkshire to take on Hamilton Ackies in SWPL1. Two changes to Clint Lancaster's starting lineup from last time out. Amy Black and Darcy Miller replacing Francesca Ogilvie and Jess Broderick in the first 11. And all being honest, very little to talk about in the opening stage of the first half. Neither side really threatening to open the scoring as this game was dogged down to a midfield battle. But that all changed on 27 minutes when the Dons took the lead in some style. Miller doing well down the left-hand side to force a foul at the angle of the penalty box. And with both sets of players waiting in 18-yard box, looking for a cross, Chloe Gover had different ideas and she smashed a rocket across the goalkeeper into the top corner of the net to give Aberdeen the lead at her first goal at this level for a couple of years now. And it was nearly two goals in as many minutes for Aberdeen when an Innes corner was met by the head of Ailey Shore. But her looping header came back off the crossbar. The Dons looking well on top at this point. And they nearly carved out one further chance on a quick breakaway. Great play by Ava Thompson. Seeing her win the ball in the middle of the park, finding Hutchinson, who in turn played Miller down the right. Miller sending a dangerous cross the, f- the face of the goal but nobody there to capitalise halftime Hamilton Aki's now Aberdeen 1 Francesca Ogilvie replacing Hannah Innes for the Dons in the first change of the game on 56 minutes the Dons with big big claims for a penalty on the hour mark when Miller looked to have been impeded as she turned in the box but her honesty in trying to stay on her feet might have prevented the ref pointed to the spot and as was often the way just when you're well on top and you don't take your chances it was the home side who did get the equaliser on 66 minutes Giard managing a turn in the box before hooking a bouncing ball into the top corner 
of the net. And the host should have made it 2-1 just a couple of minutes later when Giard went through. She scored for Clark, but her low shot was well saved by Annalise McCann in the Dons nets. The hosts were reduced to 10 men, not 10 men, 10 players, when their captain, Megan Quinn, cynically pulled down Hutchison as she was looking to break through on goal. And she was shown a straight red card for that one. From the resulting free kick, Gover almost getting her second of the game with her long-range effort clattering back off of the bar. But not much doing, unfortunately, for the Dons in front of goal after this one. It did remain 1-1, a draw for the Quines on the road at Hamilton. They do remain in seventh place, though, in SWPL1, just tucked in behind sixth spot. Again, Gav, uh, a decent point in the road, probably a little bit disappointing for the Quines that they didn't pick up all three, especially having taken the lead. And then with Aki's been reduced to 10 players. Yeah, disappointing as well. Obviously, yeah, to to not be able to see the game through from the 1-0 uh, position they were in and then not be able to take advantage of that um, additional player. But, you know, it's been a season of progress again and, you know, points on the road were few and far between last season. Like you say, it keeps them in and about that position for, you know, potentially breaking into the top six come come the end of the season. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, all in all got to be looked at as you know, a point gained rather than two points lost. Yeah, seven points behind Hibs now in sixth place. That's the first draw of the season for the Quines. Um, it does mean, though, they are six points to the middle one now in eighth, and they have opened up a nice gap now between themselves and Spartans in eighth who occupy the current playoff position for relegation. So, yeah, and it's an incredibly young team, once again, that Clint Lancaster's been having to rely on. A lot of key injuries, we've talked about it before. Um but yeah, lots of things to be positive, I think, about for the Queens, despite the setback of the recent game at Celtic Park. I mean, yeah, it's going to happen. Um, there's just the, the disparity between the Glasgow sides and everyone else in the league is just crazy. So I think you can just not write them off. You obviously have to learn your lessons from those kind of games. But you know, Celtic, Rangers, Glasgow City, they're going to batter pretty much everyone at home, uh, regardless of who it is. So I wouldn't be getting my head down too much over what happened there, as, as bad as the result was. Yeah. On to the young team. Uh, the young team travelling to East Kilbride for their sins to take on Motherwell Youth on Friday afternoon. And for the second time in the space of week, came from behind to take the points back up the road. Well, going in at the break, a goal to the good thanks to a headed effort from Zach Tomney. But the Dons rallying after the half time interval. A quick fire double from Cammy Wilson and then from Mackey. Saw the Dons take the points as they continue their good form in the Cass under 18 league. They've got no games now until mid January in the league, but they can absolutely gather, reflect on the opening half of the campaign with a lot of pride. They've done extremely well again this season so far. Yeah, that's been, that has, has been a constant in the time we've done this show. The under-18s just constantly uh, performing above themselves. And yeah, that's another great result. Um, great character. Come back from from being a goal down to get that victory. Um, yeah, we're obviously doing something right with our with our under-18s. Maybe shoot off the man. Ah, I think we've, Taking that route once, one too many times. <laughs> anyway, uh, on to Lone Watch. Kieran Nguenya at Park Thistle. No place in the squad for Nguenya. I'm presuming he's injured um, as part of it played at a seven-goal thriller what in the game. Friday night football as they lost 4-3 to Wraith Rovers and Kirkcaldy in the Champo. It was brilliant. That Great was game fantastic of football. game. I um, love Friday night championship football. I really I, do. I, yeah, absolutely. I am also well on the bus. I, I want to see Wraith back up in the top flight. I want it to happen. Yeah, it's been, too long. Club. it's been too long, hasn't it? Yeah, proper football club, and I want it to happen at the expense of United, because that would be funny as fuck. That would be an added bonus, yes. Indeed. Uh, Evan Towler, not in the squad again. 
again, presuming this is a long-term injury for Tyler, but the, the silence about this from the club and from anyone is deafening. Um, and Trosto were beaten 4-1 by Marvin Bartley's Xbox of the South in League One. Gav's looking curious about this. Have you heard it? You... I don't quite get the reference. Did you miss all this? No, I, I remember Bartley's whole... Oh, they were all playing... My, my, my boys are playing PS5s too much. Yeah. Here we go. Xbox of the South. I'm not quite following that reference. I don't think he said PS5. He just said they were gaming. So, they were gaming. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, they, and, the, and your man asked them, do they play games? Oh, well, yeah, we play games in training. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, <laughs> no, you tit. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. Had such high hopes for Marvin Bartley as well. Fucking hell. <laughs> and it turns out... A bit of an idiot. <laughs> he sounds like Mick Beale as well. Have you noticed this? I'd never noticed it until the other day. Um, sounds like Mick Beale. Uh, yeah, he has got a little bit of a cockney. Yeah. Danny Dyer, landlord of the Queen Vic vibe about him. <laughs> once you've seen it, well, once you've heard it, you can't unhear it. That's all I'm going to say. Um, anyway, Alfie Babbage, Kelty Hearts. A start, another full 90 minutes under his belt as Kelty were beaten 2 1 by Falkirk in League One. But Babbage did get the consolation goal. In that one, Aaron Reid, an unused substitute, Peterhead through 1 1 with Bonnie Regrose Athletic in League Two. Uh, Blair McKenzie and Liam Harvey, Elgin City, both starting. Harvey lasted till the 67th minute. Elgin went down to another defeat in League Two, this time by four goals to the North East Fife. Um, what I can say is, I noticed that Elgin appointed a new manager this week. When you appoint a new manager, and on Twitter you have to say manager's name, and then you have to put like brackets L to indicate he's on the left of the picture, that's never a good <laughs> sign, is it? Oh my God. So Elgin are second bottom. Yeah. Four points clear of Clyde. That, but yeah, that is not a good time to be an Elgin City fan. No, it's definitely not. Anyway, let's move on from there. Dylan Lobbin, Adam Emsley, both started in the top of the table clash at North Lodge Park in the Highland League. Emsley with a crucial fourth goal was for Martin, won by four goals to three against Brecon City. Um, Finlay Murray, Turriff United, another 90 minutes in the tank for Finlay as Turriff reeled back from being down to 10 men early doors in the game to win 4-1 at the Chuff Chuffs in the Highland League as I presume Tura took great um, pleasure in exacting revenge on their former boss Dean Donaldson there. Thoughts on that one Gav? Ah, this would not happen if I was the owner of the, of the Locos. <clears throat> no, definitely. I wonder if there was too much chippy shit going on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, so for anyone that might not know, we, <laughs> we did go to the Locos versus Bucky Thistle for for Gary's birthday um, celebrations, we because that's how we in. roll. Because <laughs> that's how we entertain our um, our, other entertain halves. Our, our other halves. Take the Highland League football. Um, I mean, I mean, my partner's from Norway and has been a few Scottish Premiership games now, and I was like, "Listen, this is going to be something completely different." My favorite part of that whole thing was going to the uh, pie stall actually and asking them if they had a vegetarian option, and the lady amazing. saying. Um, well, we've got a we've got a bean and tatty pie, but I'm not sure if that's got beef in it. <laughs> and so we're just like, okay, well, um, we'll just have chips and cheese then. And then hearing in the background some boy saying macaroni pie, right, no bother, love. Here we go. Uh, but yeah, we heard a lot of the uh, the locals' coaching staff and their um, quote unquote instructions and motivational skills. And I came away from thinking it's not that hard to be a manager. It really isn't. I mean, you just need to shout, run more, run, run. Um, Hustle. Hustle. Loyalty. I heard hustle. <laughs> loyalty. Respect. Um, and then my favourite, the piece de resistance was the moment of when a locals player tried to just play a nice little ball through and there was just this, the, the cry of, what was it again? Just put it on the fucking deck. 
I don't want to see any of that fucking chippy shit. Lovely stuff. I'm taking that into my coaching for the 2017s now. <laughs> the six-year-old kids with no idea what's going on. It's great. That's why when the Kofi fund accumulates enough in the way of wealth and I can take my rightful place as the owner of the locals, that's why that manager is getting the sack instantly. Yeah, anyway, let's move on. Um, it's probably self-indulgent enough as it is. Uh, Kevin Hanratty, no game for him as Bucky Thistle's match against Clack was rained off um, on Saturday. Jaden Richardson, he came off the bench for the final eight minutes as Stockport County were held to a 1-1 draw at Morecambe in League Two. And then Big T, Big Anthony Stewart, MK Dons away trip to Mansfield was postponed. So no game for Big T this week either. What do you guys for the first half? Yes, thank you. Okay, the referee has added the requisite period of time that we talked about in the locals. It's time for half time. We'll be back after the short interlude and a short message from our sponsors. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Donco on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Enjoy freshly topped donuts, coffee, milkshakes, soup, pies, bagels, and much, much more available every day of the week. Come along and enjoy their daily deals such as black coffee and a mini donut for just one pound or a bagel and a soft drink for only a fiver. Join the guys seven days a week on Belmont Street between eight and eight and available 24-7 at yourdonutshop.com. Welcome back to the ABZ FP before we move on to part. That's not what we're going to do. Welcome back to the ABZ FP before we move on to talk about another massive week that lies ahead for the Dandy Dons. Just a quick shout out to those of you once again continuing to make your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund, including Inverness Dawn. Inverness Dawn. And Mark Robertson. Oh man, the goat. <laughs> he is goat level. Greatness on a different level. We acknowledge you, Mark. He's in goat tier. I don't know what that gets him. We'll try and figure that out, Mark. Um, but anyway, we see you. We acknowledge you all. Your bread is absolutely much appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueling those beers or coffees or to allow Gavin to try and buy Inverary Locos, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ. Football podcast, the link is in the description. It is much appreciated. If you do take over the Locos, Gav, will you insist that the bean and tatty pie has beef in it? Oh, I mean, everything will have meat in it. Yeah, sorry. Oh yeah, we spoke about this a lot, didn't we, during that? Yeah. I'm going to make us the least carbon neutral football club that has <laughs> ever existed. You're going to be like the anti-Forest Green Rovers. Yeah, just creating beef with teams in Gloucestershire for no apparent reason. <laughs> um, right, time now, though, for another double-headed preview. One of these is going to take a lot less time than the other one. It's fair to say, Gav. Yep. First up, and this one will be quick, given the nature of it, Eintracht Frankfurt make the trip. To Pataudry to close out the Europa Conference League group stages on Thursday. An early evening kickoff for this one. A dead rubber of all dead rubbers. Eintracht already confirmed to be entering the playoff round of the Conference League. The Dons, of course, out already. A second trip to Pataudry in their history for Eintracht. They played at a 1-1 draw in our UEFA Cup first round, first leg tie all the way back in September 1979. The Dons, of course, narrowly losing out by one goal to nil in the return leg, and it was a single goal defeat again in the Waldstadion earlier in the season. The Dons putting up a brave showing against the German cracks in Germany, the highlight of which, of course, was Dante Povara's first goal for the Dandy Dons. Eintracht warming up for this one with a comprehensive smashing of Bayern Munich. 
just the 5 1 win over the Deutsche Fußballmeisters, Gav, it's fair to say. Yeah, so uh, they're in form. It's, it's fair enough to say, <laughs> for sure. Definitely. The Dons with a, a proud European history against the German opposition at Pataudry. Only Borussia Mönchengladbach have left Pataudry with a win to date. Um, I feel that, like that might change. <laughs> possibly, but that does, of course, include the aforementioned Deutsche Fußballmeisters, Bayern München twice, and Hamburg twice, Eintracht Frankfurt once, Dinamo Dresden, and Dinamo Berlin as well, I think, if I'm right thinking. Anyway, let's be honest. This one, though, on Thursday is an absolute dead rubber for both sides. Ordinarily, you'd still be looking at, you know, all the stuff we talked about when we went to the Helsinki game, you know, coefficient points to the club, prize money and offer for us. But realistically, with the League Cup final coming on Sunday, very little focus is going to be on this one. And all eyes, all focus has to be Sunday at Hamden Park. 100%. I was curious if there was maybe something for, that Frankfurt had to play for, but you're right, there are four points behind Pauk, so they're going to finish second in the group regardless. Um, they're coming off the back of probably, you know, their performance of the season in, in beating Bayern uh, so convincingly, but I expect both teams will play fringe teams and quite frankly, I'm okay with it. You're expecting, obviously, a much changed side. Clearly, the focus should be to wrap certain players of ours in cotton wool ahead of Sunday. Will we see the debut of Ordadia or will he be too busy having a fag outside his house? whilst Aberdeen are playing. Reportedly. Allegedly. <laughs> um, I don't expect to see your daddy. That's, no. That's no. one thing, no. Um, I think we might see Ross Dewan in goal. Okay, yeah. Um, I think Angus will come in. I think Jack Milne will play again. Um, we'll see I, Williams. Oh, well, now that's, that could be a turn up for the books. Okay. I mean, he wasn't on the bench. We had all our <laughs> centre-backs on the bench on, on Saturday, apart from him. I think Williams has only been on the bench... Well, certainly in recent weeks for conference league games where you basically conference league games yeah where you basically have you know I think I'm next on the list to be on the bench for one of those <laughs> just, on, just on a priority points level <laughs> um, yeah I expect a complete change in the team I mean I couldn't have been the only one that was concerned when Miofsky went down um, looking like he'd picked up a knock and I think it would be Clearly fine, given the level which he sprinted down the touchline when Clark yeah, scores. So. I do wonder if perhaps that was a case of the change had already been decided and maybe this is just him, like, you know, killing the game. I don't really know why I would do it at the time, but I don't know. Um, but I completely expect, you know, wholesale changes. Um, players we wouldn't typically expect to see coming in um, and our, our key personnel, like you say, just wrapped in cotton wool and absolutely getting nowhere near the pitch on on Thursday. I think you'll get your... Ryan Duncan's, uh, maybe Sokler, maybe Habib Gale come on for his first Pataudry start. I wouldn't even play Sokler. I I, I I like Sokler. I think the front two, Sokler and Miofsky, have got a lot to offer together. So I, I would, anyway. I think, well, I fully expect us to play with one up top against Rangers. So that's why I think that he might come mm. into consideration for, for Frankfurt. Um, and then, you know, I guess, like I say, just the fringe players, the guys who've not had many minutes. Um, and likewise, I expect Frankfurt will probably do the same. There's no reason for Frankfurt to do anything differently. They've got nothing to play for. That's true. And I expect Frankfurt's fringe players will be maybe a step above our fringe players. And it could perhaps be a, a long night to be an Aberdeen fan. But um, yeah, the game is... What are you on about, Gavin? Are you telling me that Frankfurt have got like an Ordadia lurking about in there? They don't have an Ordadia lurking about in their squad? They're bound to. That's I don't think anyone has an Ordadia lurking about their squad. Even we don't have an Ordadia lurking about our squad. <laughs> I guess... 
for me, it's all about just making sure that really key players versus don't get involved on yeah. Thursday night. Um, it's not like they need to be kind of kept ticking over either. They've played enough games of football this season. A week's break would be probably for a lot of them beneficial. All we've done all season is complain about how many games of football we've had to play. So if the we've, Robson was we, to go we've in... We've not. We've not. If Robson goes in and plays full strength, I will go fucking ballistic. Even more so when I first, when I saw that piece of shit second string team that he put out in Helsinki. Um, do you want to venture a prediction for Thursday evening? Ah. <laughs> you couldn't give a shit, could you? I couldn't care less about this game. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm not even sure I'm going to go. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really... Uh, I don't know. It's six five Aberdeen. <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it, to be in a position where when the draw was made, we all looked and it went brilliant. Frankfurt, that's a that's a really good draw to get. Top ranked team in the competition. You can look forward to the, they're the biggest team in our group, you know, on a name basis. Um it's the one everyone probably looked at and went great. That'd be great to get them at Patodre and really hopefully, you know packed house good atmosphere blah blah and it means nothing to either side and the fact that frankfurt's fans aren't going to be there is going to just make it yeah i I hadn't even considered that if it's a case that frankfurt are coming here they have to play for something so they're going to play their best team and you can just see some good footballers that make make a difference but yeah like i expect both teams reserves if not third choice teams to be playing and for it just to peter out into a bit of a nothing game yeah i agree absolutely um so yeah disappointing Aberdeen won, Frankfurt won. Who cares? Let's let's move on. To what is the Bells League Cup final on Sunday? We just touched on all eyes are on Hamden Park next Sunday. The first showpiece final of the season. The Dons taking on Sevco 5088 Limited. Trading is the Rangers at the National Stadium. The first piece of silverware available domestically this season. It's our first cup final, of course, since the 2018-19 iteration of this tournament. Was it the Bet Fred at that point? Think it might uh, that rings a bell. Yep, certainly. A 1-0 defeat to Celtic in the finals. Ryan Christie came back to haunt us, scoring the only goal of the game deep into the first half injury time. It is, of course, our first ever domestic cup final against the youngest top flight team in Scotland. Our first since uh, first sorry against an entity who may claim to be Rangers since the 2000 Scottish Cup final. Obviously, we're aiming for a first trophy. Since the 2013-14 League Cup. You're laughing, Gav, can I help you? Uh, I was just going to say, the less said about that 2000 Cup final, the better. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> we are aiming, of course, for this to be our seventh victory in this tournament to add successes in the 1955-56 season. 76-77, 85-86, 89-90, 95-96, and of course, the aforementioned 2013-14 Season we've contested this final on 15 occasions to date. We've won it six times, we've lost it nine. We are the third most successful team in the country in this competition as well. We've not been either side of the Glasgow two international cup final since the 1990 Scottish Cup final, not beaten this lot in a final since the 8990 Skull Cup final. En route to the final, a less than convincing win. It's fair to see over Sterling Albion, a fairly comfortable outing in Dingwall, and then a pretty fluky win over Hibs in the semi. Our opponents seeing of Greenick Morton in round two before beating Livy and then Hearts to make it back to Hamden. This season, as we know, the sides have met each other twice so far. The Dons winning at Ibrox and then a 1-1 draw thanks to a last-minute penalty gifted to the Sevconians from VAR at Pataudry just a few weeks back. And as we touched on the preview for the game at Pataudry a few weeks ago, new manager Philippe Clement yet to taste defeat since taking over from McBeal. A 3-1 
win over Dundee at Ibrox on Saturday, their latest win domestically. Their 1-1 draw, um, though with Aris Limassol the same night we took on HJK, does mean that their Europa League tie away in Spain with Betis on Thursday evening does mean something for them. They do need to go and get some sort of result in order to make it into Europa League qualifiers. And they've got some pretty big injury concerns as well, as things stand. Uh, Tom Lawrence, uh, Raskin and Danilo in particular are all going to miss the final. Indeed, things are so bad down there that Cyril Desser has got to start against Dundee on Saturday. Clement still seemingly wanting to go with the 4-2-3-1. I'm enjoying Gavin just grimacing at that because he can see exactly what's going to happen here. There, still going with the 4-2-3-1. We saw the music with Audrey. Sima playing off the left-hand flank. He's probably been their best player in recent weeks, although I didn't think he really showed up against us, Pataudry. Uh, he did score against Dundee at the weekend. Backline for me still looks really suspect down the middle. He went with Suter and Balogun against Dundee. We saw in the game, Pataudry, they can be exposed down that centre line for pace. As always, the big threat probably coming from the flanks. Expect Tavernier and Barisic to start. They'll look to get up the line. They'll look to chuck balls into the box. Uh, we've talked about Rangers twice already this season, which is more than I ever want to talk about them. Um, it's a huge, huge game, Gav. It really is. I mean, it's a cup final. It goes without saying. We've generally speaking this season performed well in games where we don't expect to dominate possession. I expect that to happen here as well. All being well, he, <laughs> he doesn't do something fucking mental and play a first team against Frankfurt on Thursday night. So what sort of lineup do you think Barry goes with? Um, and who do you think the personnel will be that he takes to Hamden Park. Um, I expect Barry Robson being the kind of manager that he is and going for the tried and trusted. Um, I think he will definitely line up in the 5-4-1 setup, the kind of flat 5-4-1 when we're in defense that can turn into almost like a 3-4-3 kind of setup is, uh, is the way we'll approach the game. Um, I obviously expect Keldus will be in goal. Uh, Devlin, right wing back. Garman, Jensen, um, and then it's kind of a question mark of whether it's going to be McDonald or whether it's going to be Rubicic that will come in for to play that back uh, central position in the back three. It'll be a big call because obviously he's you know, left Rubicic out for the last few games. If you believe the manager, McDonald um, can't play all that often. So that'll be an interesting one. And then I, I honestly expect he'll play Johnny Hayes um, at left wing back, which is a little bit galling that we're in 2023, nearly 2024, and Johnny Hayes is still a first team player at Aberdeen. And then I would expect in a game like that at Hamden, I think it'll be Clarkson, Shinny, McGrath, Polvara, and Boyanowski up top. And then when we kind of shift into possession, it'll be the kind of box in midfield. You'll try and get the likes of Povara McGrath. Get get Devlin, Hayes, or if it's Mackenzie McGarry, whoever is high. Can't be McKenzie, he's suspended and he's also injured. So oh. <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh, my prayers have been answered. Um so we McGarry or Hayes, get them high at the pitch, and then get um yeah, McGrath Povara close to me off to support him. Which has worked for us this season, it's fair to say. It's one of the things that has worked. So you can't doubt that. I think the fact that we went to Ibrox and played that way and got the win will be the yeah. biggest deciding factor in Robson and the way he plays. What about the fact we played recently with the two up front against them at Patojic? I thought Sokler and Mioski gave them a lot of things to think about. And um, we do have enough to trouble them, don't we? Especially down the centre of the park, I thought, at Patojic, we did. We do. Their, their centre-backs in particular are extremely unconvincing. I just don't think we're going to go and play on a pitch the size of Hamden and try and play with that kind of 
front foot aggression. I think we much more conservative. It'll be a lot more about hitting them on the break as mm. we did at Abrox earlier in the season. We do have enough to trouble them, don't we? We really just need to cut out some of these stupid goals that we keep conceding. And it's all about, for me, cut finals. It's about the concentration levels being kept at you know the absolute maximum from minute one through to minute. Could be 120, could be a pair of kicks for all we know. Yeah, I mean, I just off the top of my head, what we scored once against them at Pataudry, we've scored three against them um, at Ibrox, but two passes with Pataudry um, when Scales and Miofsky scored, scored another two against them at Pataudry early in the season. So we've definitely got players that can, that can hurt them. The key for me will be very obviously that if we, when we do get in possession, and this is what we have done well with that system, is that the players like McGrath, like Pulvara, the fullbacks need to get close and support Bielanowski when we're getting the ball to him because there's been times even on Saturday against Hearts or against Kilmarnock when the distances between the players is so enormous yeah. that even Bielanowski challenges for it, even who wins it, he's isolated or there's going to be no one there to pick up a second ball and then it's just going to be the ball coming back towards us again and it's going to be that kind of game where yeah, every single Aberdeen player is going to have to have probably his best game of the season come away with a victory because that's the reality of these games. I have completely accepted the fact that we will start this game 1-0 down because Rangers will get a penalty. You've got Andrew Dallas on VAR, so... Obviously. I mean, Don Robertson's the referee, I believe. Don Robertson is the referee, yes. He, of course, who so, mixed up... Um, Scott Tander's head and hand. Yes. Uh-huh. yes. So that's, uh, that inspires a lot of confidence. Um, so I fully... I accept the fact that we were we are going to need to score at least two goals to win this game, and yeah, it's going to just be a lot of dig, a lot of character, a lot of concentration, and a lot of quality defending, which so far this season has not really been our mo. So yeah, especially Garman Jensen and be it be it Rubicic, be it McDonald, be it Jack Milne, for all we fucking know. Do what do you, what do you think he does at the back three? Who, who do, you, do you think he takes Rubicic back in? Has Rubicic been rested against? Kamarkin Hearts with a view to the cup final, just taking him out like a little bit, just getting him a bit of a breather. I don't know. It's a weird one because obviously he came out in such very vocal support of Rubizic and yeah. then immediately dropped him. Um, I can understand for me one game, but to then leave him on the bench and bring, I mean, fundamentally brought the right back into centre back rather than play Rubizic or McDonald. Um, yeah. So that's not, I wouldn't be taking that as a huge vote of confidence if I was either Rubizic or Angus McDonald for that matter. I mean, I did think Rubicic played well enough against them at, at Pataudry, and I thought he did okay at Ibrox as well against them. So, you know. I, I don't know. On a pitch that size, Rubicic has tendency to overcommit. If one Dessers of their players... isn't going to run away from me, though. He's probably like good to match up against Dessers if that's what happens. So, Have you seen Rubicic try and run? Yeah, I've seen Dessers as well. It's not exactly the irresistible force meets the immovable, well, it is the immovable object, actually. Yeah, it's going to be, it will be interesting to see what he decides to do. I think that's probably, it feels like the biggest decision Robson has to make, I think. If I was a betting man, I think he will, was pride get in the way? I feel like if he doesn't play Rubzic, it's almost like an admission that he's got something wrong this season. Yeah, that's a fair point. Here's a question for you about Barry Robson. Does he go suit for the cup final? I fully expect Barry Robson will be wearing a suit when he leaves the team out and then run down the tunnel to emerge minutes later with a body warmer on. He goes proper Tony Pulis. Yes. Yeah, excellent. Um, I mean, it, you touched on it. Big wide pitch. 
at Hamden, which I know is like a proper cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. Um, we really need to avoid getting stretched too much down the flanks. But if we can get the ball again and get on the ball, there are then going to be areas for us to expose in behind those fullbacks and centre halves. We saw it in the cup semi final last season where Rangers overcommitted at times up the line. That's how the goal for Miofsky comes about, is because we play a nice diagonal cross ball from Leighton Clarkson. Um, it's Matty Kennedy, isn't it, who runs onto it, I think. It's Matty Kennedy. He, of course, scored the winning goal this afternoon uh, for Kilmarnock against Celtic. Um, we need to kind of be alive for those moments and really make the most of them. Yeah, uh, 100%. And then, like I say, when we do get forward, we have to run, we have to gamble, we have to be brave and get players up in support like we did in Frankfurt when, you know, it's all about getting that ball into Miofsky and getting the supporting players around him. And that's what leads to Dante Povara scoring his goal. Um, I mean, Miofsky's got the movement, the quality to trouble any combination of centre-backs that Rangers uh, come up against us with. And likewise, I mean, even though you're talking about Barisic and Tavernier being their biggest threats, and they undoubtedly are, that'll be even like it's massive for what Dante Polvara and Jamie McGrath do from their positions, just getting back and supporting their the wing-backs. I'm saying Polvara and McGrath as if it's fact, but that's just why I expect it to be. I kind of uh, in terms expect of personnel, same, I think. And then, you know, maybe as the game goes on, this is why I'm thinking it'll be for the 5-4-1. And hopefully if the game continues that way and we can keep it stretched and keep that space there, then that's when you bring someone like Duker, even Esther Sokler on to expose them with their with their pace as well. But not Shea Shea Momo, no? Anyway, let's move on. That's a man who's loving kissing the badge yesterday. I was, I was all up for that. Um... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> When, when he couldn't be arsed chasing down the Kilmarnock player on Wednesday, that's what I thought myself. That's the guy who loves Aberdeen. He'll he'll do anything for that shirt. He might love it. I mean, we did give him a four-year deal after all. So, you know. Um, Charlatan. Anyway, let's move on. Let's try and keep things positive, Gaff. Let's try and keep things positive. The fans, like we've got a massive, massive part to play on Sunday, don't we? Outnumbered, thanks to the SPFL's ridiculous stance on ticketing. We need to make ourselves heard... And as difficult as a season this has been, and as critical as we've been about certain things about, you know, the manager, style, everything about it, we need to keep with the team in this one on Sunday. And we need to try and do our bit to try and help get the the, the team over the line. Because at the end of the day, it's a massive opportunity for us to take some silverware back up north. Yeah, uh, definitely. It's, um, it feels a little bit like when we played Celtic in the Scottish Cup final and there was all the rumour and innuendo and all the chat about what our captain was going to be doing with his future. And for that our day... Our captain just, that day was Graeme Shinney. What are you on about, Gavin? Sorry, our ex-captain, for that matter, that was wearing number 22. Um, you know, we just put that all to one side and just supported the team through the game. And that's what I want. Um, nothing to be directed at the manager or individual players um, for... If it's just simply a, something that maybe doesn't cost us, you know, I mean, if someone goes full-blown Anthony Stewart... Trust yeah. me, I'll be, I'll be the first one <laughs> piling down at the front to call the guy a useless fucker. But um, yeah, and I, I got it on on Saturday against Hearts when we were you know very annoyed with what was happening on the pitch. But this is a game where, like I say, we're outnumbered, we're the underdogs, and we've got to just be as one. And fingers crossed, we can uh, pull off. What last what link on Wednesday I would have thought would be a minor miracle in uh, in taking the League Cup home. Absolutely, I'm trying to think, Gav. Your record at Hamden is nothing short of absolutely oh, abysmal. Abs- I shouldn't even be going. Are you one win in your uh, entire life? Morton, 
in the Lauren. semifinal and Rangers in the semifinal. Lewis Ferguson header. Yes, okay. That's not as bad as I thought. Um, oh, no, it's still pretty bad. Yes. Um, coming in. Predictions for Sunday. Hamden Park. Coca-Cola League Cup final. Crazy. Crazy game. One that harks back to the, the late 80s, the trilogy from the late 80s. Um, I expect expect two red cards. <laughs> Both to Aberdeen. Before the game's even started. <laughs> I expect a minimum of one penalty. Um, James Tavernier will score for Rangers from the penalty spot. Okay. Keldus will not die the right way. <laughs> uh, it'll be cometh the hour, cometh the man. Uh, maybe, maybe, you never know. His... Uh, his last great hit as an Aberdeen player, Boyamiowski double, two one, two one Aberdeen. Normal time, um, yeah, yes, yes, normal time. Okay, I like and it. we will all be in the stands shouting on Barry Robson. <laughs> yeah, um, um, because we're fickle. Because we're fickle that way. Cormac will be in the pitch, <laughs> just barging Agnew and Robson out of the way. Yeah, um, <laughs> even Graham, even Graham Shinney at the trophy presentation. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I I have a feeling, all about the feelings. Um, That's gonna be a good. <laughs> Rangers won. Uh, you're right. Rangers will score thanks to a penalty kick. There's never a penalty kick, by the way. Oh yeah, it's it's the Robertson misses it or sees nothing, and VAR will call yeah. it back. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, um, and then VAR will go down mysteriously. <laughs> Aberdeen three. A repeat of the, the performance at Ibrox. Danny Povara, Miofsky, Duke will score late on on a counter-attack. Amazing scenes. And that'll be that. If Danny Povara could score the winner, <laughs> that would be incredibly sweet. And then what, bless himself in front of the, <laughs> the East Stand just for ultimate sieve. No, East Stand, West Stand, West Stand. <laughs> just anywhere where there are the hordes <laughs> exist. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um... I don't know. Yeah, just just a feeling. And then, but somehow, this will be just one part of a continuing roller coaster of a season that goes on. Oh, and then we'll go back and lose one nil to Livingston. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Looking forward to it. Um, if you happen to be listening to this on your way to Hamden Park, it's not for us to tell you what the fuck to do, obviously, but please stick with the team, give it your all, stick with them, outnumbered, never outfought, all that kind of good stuff. Class above. Let's take the trophy back up north. Right, that'll do us, Gav. Thank you. That wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ. FP, thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow whatever you might do on your podcast. Player of choice, join us next time out for episode 141, where we'll briefly look back at the game against Frankfurt, I imagine. Maybe not. not. And we'll look at the cup final, hopefully in loads of detail, and potentially very pissed. Who knows? <laughs> and then we'll preview another double header of cinch action as the Dons take on the Lions of Livingston and then travel to Dundee, all before the visit of Santa Claus. Look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop.
taking supporters to Coldridge Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!